the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, God introduces us to Saul, a tall, handsome, humble, ideal specimen for a king. Time will tell what's in his heart. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 10. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 10. First Samuel chapter 9. In this chapter, we're going to meet in God's choice for king. And we'll see in this chapter a couple things. One, that God knew that they would reject Samuel's warning about a king, you know, the reality check about a king. And and God already had a plan in place. And then number two, that things will start off well for the man that God chooses because he has a humble heart. Verse one. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, who was the son of Zeror, the son of Bechroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any other people. And the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take now one of the servants with you and arise and go seek the donkeys. So he passed through Mount Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. So then they passed through the land of Shalim, and there they were not either. And so he passed through the land of the Benjamites, and he could not find them. And when they were come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant that was with him, come and let us return, lest my father leave caring for the donkeys, and he start taking thought for us. And so he said to him, behold now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says comes surely to pass. So now let us go there, peradventure he can show us our way that we should go. Then said Saul to his servant, but behold, if we go... What shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver. That's what I will give to the man of God to tell us our way. For before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, thus he spoke, Come and let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. Verse 10. Saul doesn't have any excuse to that. He says, well said. You know, I love this because you can be a good leader even if you aren't very creative. You can. Just surround yourself with wise people who are very creative. Good leaders don't have to have all the gifts or all the skill sets. 
What makes them good leaders is they find people who have the things that can be helpful and they surround themselves with them and empower them to use their gifts as well. So Saul said to his servant, well said, let us go. So they went into the city where the man of God was. And as they were going up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water. And he said unto them, is the seer here? And they answered and said unto him, oh, he is. Behold, he is before you, which means he just headed inside. You just missed him. He is before you. Make haste now. You've got to hurry. For he came today to the city, but not just for any reason. For there is a sacrifice, the King James says. It probably just means feast. For there is a feast of the people today in the high place, in the worship center. And as soon as you become into the city, you shall straightway find him. Doesn't mean you'll find him as soon as you come into the city. It means you need to find him as soon as you come into the city. Because the people will not eat until he comes. So they're all hungry. So he's probably headed that way. And afterwards, they eat that are invited. So therefore, get you up for about this time. You'll find him. So don't waste any time. Find him quickly or you won't have time to speak with him. He's got a feast to go through. And the only people who can go are those who are invited. And since you're foreigners, I don't think you were invited. So hurry up, guys. So verse 14, they went up into the city. And when they were come into the city, here's this word again. Behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. This is the fifth time in this chapter the writer says, behold, which means check this out. It's almost like he's a little giddy when he's writing it. He wants us to know that God is orchestrating all these things. Everything that's happening, God is orchestrating how it works out. And so it says when they went up into the city, when they got inside right to the gates, behold, Samuel He came out against them, which means that he came toward them so that they kind of met right at the gate. They were coming from one way, he's coming from the other way, and they met right at the entrance to the city. That in and of itself is an amazing chance, but there's more to it. Look at verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you out a man out of the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines, for I've looked upon my people because their cry is come unto me. The Lord revealed to Samuel 24 hours ago that there was going to be a guy coming from the tribe of Benjamin and he's going to be the next leader of Israel. And I find it interesting, the Lord does not use the word king. I can't know for sure. If you want my opinion, which is worth nothing, I do believe that God had already picked someone to replace Samuel as judge. I think it was probably Saul. And Saul, like other judges that God picked, started off well, but he was a flawed man. And like some of the judges, didn't end so well. However, God's plan, even though he's going to do that, he said he'd give Israel a king. So even though I think God's plan was probably for Saul to be the next judge and David to be the first king, that's my opinion, he's going to give them what they want. But again, I think it's important here to understand that God's plan for a leader was vastly different than Israel's plan. See, like the judges before, God is raising up Saul to deliver Israel from their enemies. He's raising up Saul to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And so the language is very much like he did with Othniel and Gideon and Jephthah and Samson and all the other judges. His language, his verbiage is very similar to that and very different than what Israel's looking for. I think that's important because it shows us that Even when I reject God's plan for my life, even when God might give me what I want, he's never going to deviate from his plans for his people as a whole. 
He's never going to do that. And I love it because God could have just been like, fine, you don't want me to be your king? Whatever, I'm done. But God is so merciful to them. Even though the tribal leaders rejected God's warning about kings, he still hears their cries. He still sees the pain they're going through with this enemy right around the corner. I think that's encouraging to me and to you. Remember this when the enemy is condemning you for your failures and says, God would never listen to you. God would never hear your prayers. God's done with you. God's not working in your life anymore. Remember this because Israel's not necessarily in the best place spiritually right now and God still hears their cries and still wants to rescue them. Amen? He's a good God. Well, Saul, he doesn't recognize Samuel. And so even though all this has happened and they bump into each other, verse 17 says, and when Samuel saw Saul, The Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spoke to you of, this same shall reign over my people. Verse 18, Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate, and he said, Tell me, I pray you, where's the seer's house? Talk about a little of an embarrassing moment. And Samuel answered Saul and says, I am the seer. And then he pauses. I am the seer. Now, the gate is the entrance to the city where they happened to bump into each other. There was no happenstance here at all. This was the Lord's orchestration. But Samuel pauses at this crazy moment where everything aligns. But as Saul says, you know where the seer's house is? And Samuel goes, well, I'm the seer. And Saul's kind of like, uh. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. Uh, he's probably a bit dumbfounded at the coincidence. And he's probably a bit embarrassed for not knowing who the man of God was. But Samuel saves him in the moment from any embarrassment by taking charge of the situation. And he says, go up before me unto the high place. I want you to come with me to the feast for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. I mean, this is definitely a moment where you're like, is this really happening? Have you ever had one of those moments in your life? I've had a few of those moments where you're just like, God, your hands all over everything that's going on right now. I'm just in awe of what you're doing. Samuel He invites Saul. He says, I want you to go up before me. To go up before him means he would be in the place of honor. That's normally Samuel's spot. So he says, Saul, you're going to be the person of honor at this feast. And you're going to eat with me. It means you're going to be my honored guest today. You're going to eat with me today. And then tomorrow, you can go ahead and head your way. And I I will tell you everything that's in your heart. I know you've come to me for a reason. You've come to me because you you need help. And I'll, I'll do all that for you. But first... I want you to go up and be my honored guest. Now, as amazing as this is, Saul has to be thinking, what in the world is going on here? So Samuel reassures Saul by promising to help with his problem before Saul even tells him there's a problem. Despite this, Saul still seems to be hesitant because in verse 20, Samuel has to clarify. And as for your donkeys, and this is, of course, where your jaw hits the ground. He didn't mention any donkeys. And as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them. Don't worry about them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? Now, again, if I was Saul, this is the point where my mouth hits the floor. But the fact that he knows he's looking for donkeys, he knows where they are, that's not the most surprising thing Samuel says. He says to him, you're worried about donkeys. Let me give you something to think about. Who's everyone in Israel thinking about? You, my friend. You and your entire family. You're worried about donkeys, but everyone else in the nation is thinking about you. Now, that absolutely baffles Saul, as you can imagine it should. 
why would everyone, why would anyone be thinking about him? But why would everyone be thinking about him? And so Saul answered and says, am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? The reason they're the smallest of the tribes of Israel is because all the other tribes almost wiped them out. What he's saying is, I don't think the nation is thinking about any Benjamite right now. We're not exactly the most popular people in town. And not only that, he says, my family is the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. We have the lowest status of families in the tribe of Benjamin. So even if everyone was thinking about a Benjamite, it wouldn't be my family. So he says, why did you speak to me this way? Wherefore, speakest thou so to me? Why are, you, why are you talking like this to me? To what purpose is what that means? Please explain more clearly what you mean. But you know what's interesting? Samuel doesn't explain. Not yet. And what I love about Saul is despite the fact that Samuel gives him no more information, Saul decides to go to the feast with Samuel. You may have heard some people say that faith is taking a blind leap. Faith isn't taking a blind leap because faith is trusting what God says even when you don't understand how it's all going to work out. Faith is taking a leap, but it's into something that is worthy of trust. It's taking a leap into unknown territory. However, it's also taking a leap into the one who knows all the territory. So it's not unknown to him. To have faith, I must first have humility. It would have been very easy for Saul to say, this is crazy. My dad's probably worried already. The donkeys aren't here. I don't have time to be a dinner guest. But instead of looking at it only through his lens, Saul decides that the Lord knows more than he does. And instead of trusting himself and his knowledge, his experience, everything he can pull into the equation, he decides to trust the one who has data he doesn't have. He decides to trust the Lord. And so verse 22, it says, Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor. It's just another fancy name for the large chamber where the feast was taking place. And he made them, not just Saul, but Saul and his servants sit in the chiefest place among them that were invited. And it says that the people that were invited were about 30 persons. So this is a very select event. Only 30 people in the entire city are invited. The chiefest places, would, the word chiefest actually means highest. Feasts like these, they had tiered seating so that the guest of honor could be seen wherever you sat. And so these 30 people would be the who's who of the city. And seeing this guy with Saul and his servant with Samuel, they would surely be wondering, who's this guy that's the guest of honor? I didn't know we were having an outsider come in. Who, who is this? Word would spread fast that there's some dude that Samuel is treating in high honors. Word would spread fast. And Samuel doesn't want to leave any doubt as to how honored Saul and his servant are. So he also does something else. Look at verse 23. And Samuel said unto the cook, Hey, uh, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it by you. Apparently, Samuel prepared for this moment when God told him yesterday about Saul. He said, I, I need to make sure this is an important day, that people remember this, how I've treated Saul. And so yesterday, he had gone to the cook and he said, listen, there's a special meat. We're going to see in a second, it's the thigh, the special meat. And we don't know what all the other yummy stuff was, but he brought all these other things. And he said, this is for my guest of honor tomorrow. Make sure you cook it and put it in a special spot so nobody else takes any of it and then bring it out when I ask for it. And so that's what he does here. He tells the cook. And so the cook 
took up the shoulder. The shoulder is the meaty part of the thigh, the really good meat. And that which was upon it, it doesn't tell us what the food was. I'm personally going for kosher cheesecake. And he said it before Saul. And Samuel said, behold, that which is left, that which is set aside, it's set before you. Eat it, man. This is your special portion. You're the guest of honor. For unto this time has it been kept for you since I said, I've invited the people. So Saul did eat with Samuel that day. He said, I spared this portion, set it aside just for you the moment that we scheduled this feast. You know, so I knew you were coming long before you arrived. Let that sink in as you enjoy the meal. And Saul did. Now, before we move on to Samuel and Saul's future interactions here, I do want to point out something about Samuel. Because if anyone was an example of a humble and obedient heart, it's Samuel. We always find him doing exactly what God told him to do. Always. doesn't mean Samuel was flawless. Samuel was not. There's a couple times when the Lord has to correct Samuel. But Samuel, when God told him to do something, he never hesitated. Never. He always did what the Lord told him to do, even in the times when it broke his heart. So Samuel is an excellent example of a humble and an obedient heart. Now, verse 25, and when they were come down from the high place into the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. I've always thought that this is one of the most underrated verses in all the Bible, because I would love to hear a recording of that conversation. Like, what did they talk about all night? The word there talked, and the implication is they talked late into the night. They communed. It means they talked late into the night, and they were on the top of the house. This is still very common in Israeli homes today because it can get very hot out there, being it's desert everywhere pretty much. So it was open and cool. The breeze would come off the sea on the top of the house. So the, the top of the homes were not covered, but they were like a I don't know what you'd call it, almost like a porch to them. And so that's where they'd go and hang out at the end of the night. So they're just up there chit-chatting and talking. Again, I have no clue what they talked about. I'd love to know. But I imagine they got to know each other. And when I think about that, I can see why Samuel wept when God rejected Saul later on. Samuel got to know Saul very well. Not just here, but over the course of his kingship. Samuel wanted Saul to do well. He wanted Saul to follow the Lord to the very end. And it broke his heart when Saul didn't. Now, spending this intimate time with Saul, that would also raise Saul in everyone's mind. Who's this guy that Samuel's up on the roof talking to all night long, man? You know, because I'm sure there were some people who were curious. And I think the reason that Samuel did this is that when the Lord selected Saul as king soon, then it wouldn't be out of left field. People go, well, he's been spending time with Saul. It makes sense. Well, verse 26. And so they arose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day, right as the sun came up, that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, up, that I may send you away. We've talked enough. It's time to go find your donkeys. That I may send you away. And Saul rose, and they went out, both of them, he and Samuel, abroad outside the house. And as they were going down to the end of the city, just as they were about to exit the gates of the city, out of the sight of prying eyes, because Samuel didn't want everyone knowing exactly who Saul would be just yet and what Samuel was about to do to Saul uh, in just a moment. He didn't want everybody seeing that just yet. So they get to the edge of, right by the gates. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, hey, uh, 
bid your servant to pass on before us. Have him go on outside. And so the servant passed on. But I want you to stand here a while that I may show or declare to you the word of God. Hmm. You know, when we talk about having a humble heart, ultimately that's what a humble heart is about. A desire to know what God says. Living my faith, my life based on what God says. Having a desire to share what God says. Those are all evidences of a humble heart. Why? Because in all of those instances, what I'm doing is I'm showing that I believe God knows better than me. And that is by definition what humility is. That I really believe that God knows better than me. That I trust in his love for me even more than I trust in my own care for myself. We are experts at caring for ourselves. We are constantly worried about ourselves, constantly thinking about ourselves. There is literally no one else out there that cares for us more than ourselves. Except the Lord. He truly cares for us more than we could ever fathom and better than we can care for ourselves. Humility, a humble heart says, I believe that and I trust in that, that you love me, Lord, that you take better care of me than I ever could. Samuel was a man who lived in that kind of humility and that's what made him such a great leader. Saul starts with this kind of humility and that's what led him to have the potential to be a great leader. And it's where we need to be as well. Now, as we close here, I'm going to leave you with a couple thoughts. First off, none of this was in Saul's heart. Like, like this was not the plan. You know, it's not like his dad said, go find the donkeys. And the Saul turned to the servant. He goes, I know we're looking for donkeys, but this is going to turn out with me being king. You watch. This was not in his heart at all. None of this. There was literally not a single event that occurred here that was in Saul's heart. His thought is, I go look for the donkeys. I go find the donkeys. Hammer, nail, right? That's what he's thinking. But all these things, this snowball starts rolling down the hill that, that's going to lead to him eventually becoming king, that he, he's not a part of it all. All of it originated from God's heart. All of it was orchestrated by the Lord. Saul literally didn't do anything to bring it about. The Lord is the one who did that. All Saul did, all he had to do, was listen to good advice and to trust the Lord's word, right? That's all he had to do the whole time. And that's what a good leader does. He lets the Lord lead and he follows where the Lord goes. Lord, you lead the way. Oh, you're going that way? All right, there we go. That's what a good leader does. You know, later on, Saul, his mindset changed. He began to think that he knew what was best for himself and what was best for the kingdom. And so even though God had promised to care for him, just in those difficult times, just as God had from the beginning, Saul started to trust what his own eyes could see, what his own mind could fathom instead. And thus Saul began to see plots against him from his closest allies, the people who loved him the most. He began to see that God was against him when God was for him. And he consistently, consistently took matters into his own hands, even when doing so went against God's clear, revealed commands. That is an arrogant heart. That is a proud heart. It's not a humble heart. So 
let's remember Saul's great start (laughs) and let's stay there. Let's have humble hearts. Amen. Oh Lord, we thank you for a wonderful example of Samuel who had a humble heart, who was obedient, who just truly followed you all the days of his life. And Lord, we are grateful that you give us this insight into Saul's start, even though he didn't understand what was going on, even though there were confusing things that you told Samuel to tell him, he still went along with it. He trusted that you had more data than he did, and you were worthy to be trusted more than himself. And so, Lord, we want to do that. We want to be those who say, we will trust in you with all our heart. We won't lean on our own understanding, but we will, in all our ways, acknowledge you, bring you into account, bring you into the factoring we do. And Lord, when we do that, we choose to bring in the fact that you love us, that you promised you'll take care of all of our needs, that you said you'd never leave us or forsake us, and that you're good. Thank you for being all those things, Lord. And I do pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, or maybe even right now they're thinking, I've done things my own way for a long time. I don't even know what to do with it, but it's not working. Lord, for that person, would you show them that you love them, that you died for them on the cross, that you have a better way, and that if they will repent and just trust you, Lord, that you'll rescue We thank you that you are a rescuing God, even when, like Israel, we're not where we're supposed to be. So we trust you to give our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Strong on me will save. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.